Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. My name is Minha and welcome to the Mindful Muslim Podcast at Inspiration Minds, where we discuss Islam, psychology, spirituality, and mental health. Today I was joined by Sahel Patel, who came all the way from Preston to talk about his gambling addiction. And it was super, super, super interesting, mashallah. There was so much raw content and emotion and just it was amazing i was really really moved by it. it was super inspirational so please please do carry on listening we also want to know how we're doing what you guys think of us what we could do better so please please leave a review um please continue sharing with your friends and your family we're on spotify apple Podcasts, itunes wherever you're listening to us on please please do leave a good review also we need your funds so please do inshallah visit us on patreon and even give us a little bit if you can we are a 100% donation policy uh, charity and we are led by volunteers so inshallah please do keep listening i pray you guys find it beneficial assalamu Assalamu alaikum Sahel. Jazakallah khair for you know coming all the way from Preston to join us. Really appreciate it. Um, so if you could tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and what you hope to discuss today, that would be great. Yeah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about a topic which I'm very passionate about. Um, so my background is in teaching. So I'm a teach English teacher, and at the same time, um, I completed my Islamic studies, so I'm a Hafiz of the Qur'an and um, my passion is addiction and I have some experience of addiction therefore um, I'd like to share my story and at the same time maybe inspire somebody out there you know who's struggling um, as I was struggling a while ago so um, I think it's a very important topic to discuss which doesn't have enough airtime, to be honest yeah, yeah for sure for sure. Um, so one thing about this podcast is we like to get very personal. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to ask yeah. a couple of personal questions. So out of curiosity, personally, mm. when you said English teacher, yeah. and this is probably like a lot of stereotypes that a lot yeah. of people have. Yeah. So when you said English teacher and then you said addiction, I was like, yeah. okay, how, how does yeah. that work? So did one come before the other or... Is it yeah, all intertwined? Um, it, it, it was all intertwined. Okay. Uh, it was a mix of everything. Um, initially, I was a religious education teacher um, in an Islamic school. So my kind of upbringing uh, in terms of my youth was spent very much in missionary work, da'wah, and um, trying to almost um, spend my time um, upon myself spiritually and also going for retreats, etc. Mm. So then I, f I made a conscious decision to kind of work in an Islamic environment to kind of disseminate and offer my services and also benefit myself by being mm. in that positive environment. However, that kind of worked, I felt, against me because there were very... There were a lot of un, uh, unresolved issues, uh, let's just say, yeah. So I enjoyed teaching in English, I still do. Um, however, I think I've reached a moment or period in my life where I feel mental health, addiction, just general advocacy for the Muslim community or within the Muslim community mm -hmm. takes precedence over teaching personally. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel, yeah. I'm just trying to digest that because I mm. think 
usually when we hear stories like this and it's so it's so it's so great mashallah that you're you're yeah. talking about it i think when yeah. we usually hear stories about this you usually hear somebody that was not on the dean and yeah then yeah they had these addictions and etc and then yeah. they came on the dean but for you it was sort of like yeah. reversed yeah. and yeah. i think that's and that happens but it's very like underground in our yeah. community yeah. and i think a yeah. lot of people just refuse to accept that that actually exists yeah. yeah um and i think it's so great that you're kind of defeating um yeah. like the stereotype that people who yeah like yeah. people who are practicing uh you know yeah. they they can't fall off dean or they can't go and at the end of the day we're yeah. still humans right yeah uh, and and that's exactly my motivation to be honest because up until a year ago i was still thinking how could this have happened to me how how could i may be just a bad muslim or mm. i'm just not a good enough person you know muslim aside not a good enough human being so all these questions were running through my mind and i felt this is i think there must be more individuals mm. coming from the circles which i came from for my friends would be many would be ulama mm. some you know my env- the environment i was working in a very orthodox islamic mm. school so everything was there you know um however something was missing and mm. maybe i'll talk about that yeah. as well that and i i think it's important to recognize that despite no matter where you are in terms of your faith you are still living where we are living yeah. in europe you know in an environment where there's so many fit temptation and addiction doesn't take place in a vacuum you know and we've got to recognize that mm. the environments you know the societal factors many things that influence mm. us and i think we're still in denial about it mm-hmm. you know and um i've done a lot of soul searching in that process as well um so picking up on the point about what you said about mm. the environment that we're in and etc yeah. a lot of people would argue that by bringing you up in such a strict islamic education and yeah. an orthodox environment yeah yeah you wouldn't have been in that environment yeah. so i mean i want to before we go on to how it all started yeah. for you yeah. i just want to sort of get your opinion on um what is missing in these islamic institutions mm. you know how yeah. how did this how does this occur is it because there's not enough education yeah. is it because that is so strict yeah. and it's yeah. so like Islamic yeah. institutions are so military that there's yeah. not enough space for children to be children and youth to yeah. be youth. Yeah. Like what's missing? Yeah, yeah. Well, my upbringing in itself, so uh, my household at that time wasn't very dini at all mm-hmm. or Islamic at all. Um, in fact, I was, you could say, along with another family member, I was the only one who was seen to be practicing. Mm-hmm. So when I became a Hafiz, it was purely by... i just put my hand up to say okay i'd like to do this mm. you know it, it was an opportunity so even whilst completing the hives it, it was relatively a soul journey so um, i spent it you know in isolation i did my hives with my teacher etc so um in terms of my upbringing I, i was very much exuberant you know very um enthusiastic about it however when i did engage in those activities in da'wah uh, tabligh jamaat or mm. um, activities as such working in islamic environment i felt i had to be somebody mm. and i couldn't be myself the true self mm-hmm. and i forgot myself that individual within that so amongst the rituals amongst amongst the 
in a respectful way the dogma i kind of forgot who suhail actually was mm. and then you're consistently asked to look up to those individuals in the community who are who are actually um maybe better spiritually in mm. that respect so you're you're constantly judging yourself and um taking account mm. uh, whether okay where am i in this and i felt a hypocrite and i was told i was a hypocrite as well that was the worst mm. thing where when individuals um did see those flaws within me whether it would be salah or something else then they would judge very quick to judge mm. and this kind of um in a very along the way i kind of fell off the kind of wagon mm. uh, due to this kind of constant breaking down of self esteem yeah. and confidence and it, it it definitely is there is a lack of safe space for individuals to be individuals sure. to sure. be themselves children to be children mm. you know because a 14 year old you know um, has to be a 14 year old and they will have these temptation desires but they've got to let them out in a healthy healthy Absolutely. way and working in an orthodox islamic school I, i as a teacher felt somewhat you know um internally repressed mm-hmm. you know I, i felt i had to be somebody that i truly yeah. truly wasn't because initially when i did um kind of start my journey on the dean it was a very much um for my own self i was very enthusiastic as a 12 year old 13 year old child um in high school um however i quickly lost that in a couple of years um and that was troublesome you know and I, is that because it, that passion wasn't nurtured in yeah. the correct environment yeah uh, and and that passion wasn't nurtured but but it it uh, i was i was escaping from something okay. so um what i did feel throughout my journey was that that nurture which you do receive at home um that it was me there was a hole there was a gap mm. somewhere in mm. terms of love so i i found a love through the brothers in the tabligh mm. jamaat mm. so there was a sense of belonging of there course. so what i saw the religious dini fervor mm. and um, passion you know that resonated with me mm-hmm. however there wasn't that space to actually talk about my home issues mm. with the family with for example i had another brother was struggling so i couldn't really speak about mm. um these issues or wasn't the space there i was a very shy um teenager so that didn't really help at mm. all but th- there was a lack of um opportunity i would mm. say and a lack of confidence within myself to actually talk about what was deeply concerning uh, to me you know uh, and the emphasis is more on going out so going in khuruj or you know spending time in um da'wah on retreats or praying um so rather than spiritual you know rather than you know um refining the inner self mm. you know um and and that's i think and i did try to search for that mm-hmm. you know that spiritual side when i did recognize that mm-hmm. this is missing within me i need something more because i'm still you know going home and doing the same thing you mm-hmm. know despite being in these activities yeah. or these circles so there was a crisis there but yeah. it wasn't arrested you know mm. i just kind of kept going trying to yeah. find myself maybe hoping i will bump into that person yeah. or that activity or i will find something yeah. so which you were really feel... self sufficient you yeah. dependent on other people yeah. and the things yeah. that you were doing and yeah. you know subhanallah what comes to mind is 
how holistic like Islam and the Sharia is. Yeah. Because it's not just about yeah. giving dawah. You have to yeah. work on yourself. Yeah. And of course, you like yeah. li- like definition yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm wondering if possibly you could sort of tell us where it all started. I mean, you've mentioned that yeah. you started practicing at 12, 13, and then yeah. you slowly like kind yeah. of lost that passion or lost yeah. the way. So where did it all start? Where did the addiction begin? How How did it mm. come about? Yeah, so um, it's sometimes difficult to find uh, the defining moment where mm. I feel it. However, you know, one of the... Um, they talk about in addiction um, possibly a factor for addiction is intergenerational transmission mm-hmm. where um, somebody in the family has engaged in such behavior so one of my family members did and he was actually a person who used to go read f- f- five daily prayers as mm-hmm. well so very similar I saw those patterns so he did and he used to vacate the Ladbrokes in Pr- um, Preston and I used to find pens in the house and I was very young then I didn't really think think of much much of it um however I, I when i did get married um initially i had an issue with regards to some insurance which i'd bought and i'd thought it was not percent balance transfer whereas it was only on retail purchases okay. so what i did instantly i was in this crisis what do i do you know mm. who, and again not able to speak to anybody about that that error which I made in terms of not reading the small print. So I which is I, such a human yeah, mistake. Human mistake. Yeah. yeah. So feeling very guilty and thinking, okay, I'm in a hole. I'm in a situation, and it was not much. The deficit wasn't great. However, I opened a betting account online, mm. um, and the first account which I opened was a Ladbrokes account. Um, and firstly, I, I just want to say before I kind of go in that before I was quite reluctant to speak about my kind of gambling history mm-hmm. but recently I did a talk in a masjid and before we d- I did the talk um, the the alim the maulana mm-hmm. the sheikh who I knew for many years he saw me as a he didn't see I sent him an email uh, to say that this is what's happened to me I'd like to you to help me kind of mm-hmm. promote um, and raise awareness about the harm so he he was inspired and he said well there is a hadith which mentions that the one who repents is like the one mm-hmm. who hasn't committed the sin at all so I feel that uh, that gave me the courage to speak about it because uh, I have truly kind of um, kind of repented or remorseful about it Allah accept now so when I did open the account the first was the Ladbrokes account which Mm -hmm. my um, family member used to go to and one of the very first kind of bets which I placed was a large amount of money Mm -hmm. and purely down to a lack of understanding how it works I didn't know how it all worked at all and I did experience a big win initially mm-hmm. I did win some money and I felt so guilty about winning it because I knew the 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 funds were haram for mm-hmm. me I couldn't spend them I couldn't do anything so I donated it to charity you know online to Bernardo's I think it was so there was that guilt there and I quickly got over the guilt you know and however I did experience a buzz or some sort of mm. um, uh, uh, yeah and some sort of elation euphoria it it was definitely there because of something that was done in secret nobody knew about it and i did win so all these factors Mm. you know kind of contributed to going back to it again kind of recreating Mm. that and 
growing up I was quite bored in terms of in the weekends or evenings didn't really have that kind of fulfilling mm. social circle you know even even generally um, family time as well that was something which was missing so I stopped gambling for a long time after that after um, potentially placing a couple of bets you know I, I kind of gave it up when I got married my marriage wasn't working out as well mm-hmm. um, because I was working where I was working I was experiencing some financial issue or I felt a certain expectation to okay. to earn a, yeah to certain amount so um, I kind of resorted to gambling again do you do you feel like your expectations to win like earn a certain amount was due to this like was that ever explicitly said to you or was it due to mm. the stereotypes that men have in Asian communities uh, it, it, it was said to me mm. yeah because I, I left a very good job to go and work where I did so as a result um, there was that expectation okay. I did feel very um, unfulfilled I felt I'm not good enough and this is something which actually dented and destroyed my self-confidence and self-esteem was being told that you're actually even sometimes um, inform, um, not directly indirectly being told and at times directly that you're actually not good enough you know mm. and that really hurt me at all um, definitely hurt me and that was a result why I actually did what I did, I felt, mm-hmm. um, just to feel better within myself or what I experienced, a sense of, you know, that euphoria, etc., which was missing that love. Because as a person, I felt I was very loyal and very giving mm-hmm. individual. And I'd made a conscious choice to work in that sort of environment. And it was something that was um, decided in tandem mm-hmm. with my then partner, my wife. And the marriage was such that it was very i was leading a secret life by keeping this gambling uh, hidden so i would go into it come out of it you know and fluctuate kind of and feeling Mm. very bad and as feeling bad is the worst thing because then a person repents then he gets over it and moves on positively however after repenting I was feeling even more comparing myself to other individuals and thinking, well, they're not engaging in that kind of behavior. There must be something inherently wrong with you as a person for Mm -hmm. you to do this as a teacher. I also taught, um, I also had a class of boys who were completing the Quran to memory. Mm -hmm. So um, it added a bit of more pressure, you know, being where I was, I couldn't seem to be doing what I was doing, but it was all online. So hence, you know, it never came out until it was very, very late. Um, And my partner didn't find out until it was basically a month before I got Mm. divorced, you know. Um, And it was not the only reason, but it did contribute to it massively in that Mm. sense. Yeah. So what are your, because I mean, for me, for yeah. someone who, I mean, the only addiction I have is probably cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> but for somebody that doesn't, hasn't ever experienced addiction, I would be interested to know what, what it is. Like, what is that? Because obviously you can read as many psychological theories yeah. as you want. Yeah. And you can read science and, you know, the whole immediate gratification. Yeah. And, um, you know, things like the the idea of what if I win and that that's what keeps yeah. going. But yeah. what... What does it feel like in that moment? What is it like? And when you lose, what's it like? And when you win, what is it like? Yeah, I mean, it's a roller coaster of emotion. And it's something which is very 
difficult for I, I think the brain struggles to cope with that amount mm. flood of activity so the when you're in the moment then you feel totally on top of the world i guess uh, when you have that money to spend then i will f- um, if romanticize fantasize about do- doing something with that money mm. you know maybe and a lot of the intentions which i had and which seems very um distorted and seems um div- the way which i think about it is mm. that some of the money i would think okay i'll do something good with this mm. maybe i'll buy some educational resources yeah. to help my students even though so it was once, sincere. underneath all it was still sincere yeah I, I, I was making excuses yeah. for it yes uh, definitely because i wanted to be in a better position financially yeah. as well so um but at, in that moment i was thinking these things and I, i was explaining to some people recently as well that the effect of gambling is the same as drugs and alcohol mm. I, i've never taken drugs or alcohol however from what i read and from what i see in mm. individuals it numbs the pain it mm. definitely numbs the pain and even though i would be distraction right it it's a like huge yeah a yeah a huge yeah. escape from online my gambling transcended into in shop betting so i used to go into betting shop dressed like this the first time ever i went to into a betting shop before i went in i paced up and down the street for about 20 minutes thinking oh, i hope somebody doesn't see me or you know what am i doing or mm-hmm. I, i was a trepidation there and eventually i went in and i i, st- I kept going to that same particular st- um, shop and it, it was an escapism over there um i could I, f- i could forget about my troubles my debts mm-hmm. or fallings out or whatever issue i had mm-hmm. at that time or was running away from i could forget about mm-hmm. it i could spend hours in that shop literally f- betting on one race to another race to another race to another race and i became fascinated by horses i developed a very liking for them and i used to study the form <laughs> online etc so it it kind of consumed my time as mm-hmm. well and this is something which i kind of deeply regret to and me maybe mention as well how it can really um take control of an individual mm-hmm. you know i mean it uh, sounds like it became an obsession it like, became an obsession of winning yeah. and and actually trying to win back what i had lost but at mm-hmm. the same time maybe just finding that win you know mm-hmm. and when i used to lose it would be the worst feeling ever where um i think nothing could possibly take that pain away mm. and and then at the same time getting found out and people knowing about it made the pain even worse mm. so all i'm thinking about is to recreate that feel good factor again and go back to mm. the gambling so it was very much like drugs and alcohol in that sense mm. and it kind of rewired my brain mm. to kind of in a loop uh, where i found it very difficult to stop and despite being in that car crash type situation and basically on my knees i still continued still mm. continued despite the negative consequences you know i lost a lot of respect within the school itself the students did find out about my gambling teachers mm. did some people used that information you know to create more harm etc so it, it actually didn't help me in any respect to kind of stop you know mm-hmm. so it, it was a roller coaster of in um, kind of 
emotion because I started to lose hair as well um, once mm. I went into the barber shop and um, saw a clump of ball patch at the back and I was really concerned and he he said you must have eaten something I, I said probably not but I knew it was stress mm-hmm. uh, definitely stress and after I stopped gambling within a year that hair grew, mm. it, it grew back but I was very stressed because I was a head of curriculum in a school and I was trying to balance that it's like juggling so many plates yeah. Yeah. you know and and a family a family in the sense that that honor within mm-hmm. the family trying to mm-hmm. keep up appearances and you know trying to do so many things and nobody could truly understand what i was feeling until yeah, they were in my shoes absolutely. and it's hard to stop you know something why don't you just stop you know mm-hmm. when i did get <laughs> found out you know two individuals who sat with me said well, I stopped. Why didn't you just stop? Mm. And I was thinking, only if it was that easy. Yeah. You know, it wasn't truly an addiction, you know, which yeah. gripped me so ferociously that only dire consequences could actually have stopped, mm. you know. And and I think there were many missed opportunities throughout the way, mm. you know, because I, I would like to call myself as somebody who's very uh, understanding, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I don't feel I'm self-righteous or, mm. you know, believe myself to be true. But I, I would listen. However, you know, it's really sad that there was no opportunity, even though two individuals did come to speak to me about it or three the whole way it's orchestrated actually mm. is counterproductive where you become defensive yeah. nobody wants to admit that they got it wrong you yeah. know and I, I had so much to unearth and excavate you know that it, it was truly i needed somebody with so much compassion mm. and literally a truly non-judgmental attitude yeah. in order to do that it sounds know. like there wasn't a lot of empathy there for you like nobody no. was willing to say like no. look i know it's hard yeah so let's yeah. talk about it at yeah least. Like, yeah i'm not telling yeah. you to give up every night yeah, let's yeah, talk about yeah. it like, that's it yeah. i know and the first thing which i feel uh, i could imagine myself being in a situation where somebody would say to I know you've been through a lot. It must be really difficult mm. for you, you know, and, you know, you've done really well for speaking to me or mm. even just still sitting here. So conversations like this, yeah. which would kind of, you know, show that empathy, true mm. empathy, because I didn't really gamble to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although it may seem like that, it was truly an escapism because yeah. initially when I did go into treatment, I thought it was a financial issue. Thereafter, I s- sought it to be understood it to be escapism mm-hmm. then i tried kind of i was actually running away from some sort of pain the marriage was a total shambles you know and it, it kind of i was self-medicating mm-hmm. you know it could have been alcohol it could have been drugs yeah. for me it could have been anything so i think that's quite important to understand because people oh i've not been traumatized trauma doesn't have to be trauma if you know what Absolutely, i mean it could yeah. be just pain pain something that was missing you know and and, like you know when you said it like you were looking for an escape so yours just happened to be gambling but also you already had a disposition to gambling like this family member i'm sure if he uh drank or he did drugs it would have it would have been that it just so happened that you were already vulnerable yeah i was already gambling definitely um and i don't want to attribute my addiction to my upbringing in terms of my parents because they they most like they tried very hard mm-hmm. uh, hard working it's about 
replacing those things in the future you know to to lead a fulfilling yeah. life you know that's what i feel so uh, it's not just about stopping stopping is just a half of it you know mm-hmm. somebody said a term recently called dry drunk i'm a dry drunk and i didn't understand what he meant mm-hmm. but he then explained that you could stop drinking but the washing machine mm-hmm. in your brain keeps going where you don't change many aspects of your life you're still you're still gambling with your life yeah. basically you know so i made a conscious decision that i'll change you know whatever mm-hmm. Because part of the twelve-step program was, it's a character defect. It, eventually, it erodes and decimates your character because of what I needed to do f- to fulfill mm-hmm. my kind of gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. So lying, deception, deceiving things which were abhorrent to me. You know, I I, I truly believe in the hadith which said, on the day of judgment, your your good character will be weighed first. I am a believer of mm-hmm. that because I, I truly believe that one's character has to be true and mm-hmm. profound and has to it's a lifelong effort and and it's almost like this cognitive dissonance mm. you know which i was experiencing where i yeah. didn't want to be that person truly mm. did not want to be that person however felt compelled to mm. because of something which was internally missing mm. and when people attribute that to a lack of dini fervor or religiosity mm. then it hurts me because mm. i spent the best part of my youth um, so, engaged in yeah. that dini and i did not engage blindly in that Absolutely, sense yeah. i was committing a lot of time i went, went to out looking yeah, it, yeah yeah totally totally so um it kind of I, I feel my struggle previously actually now i look back at it, back at it positively because mm. i could not have been the person which i am today mm. i wouldn't have been sat here today yeah, talking about it you know yeah, so sure. uh, it's a positive you've yeah. got to take the positive of course out of it. everything happens <laughs> yeah. for for a reason um just picking up on the last thing that you mm. that you said um Well, uh, it was a bit before where you were saying yeah. how when you were younger and you used to go out into the circles and you used to yeah, do the big yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Obviously, when you have that certain position in a society or yeah. you, you have like an authority or you yeah. have like a status yeah, or an image, yeah, yeah. like you said, keeping yeah. up appearances, there's a sense of... Um, not saying you were yeah. but for others there's a sense of superiority yeah, like sort of yeah, i have to yeah, live up to this name yeah, and therefore yeah, i yeah, can do this yeah, next yeah. said. but also i've read and yeah. like past experiences is that when people are gambling and they get that buzz it's almost the feeling of invincibility yeah. invincibility is that the right word yeah, yeah. yeah. And where you feel like nothing can touch you and yeah, you're like yeah. you've got all the power that you can possibly yeah, have yeah. D- does that sound truth to you and do you think it's because you weren't getting that feeling of invincibility anywhere else yeah yeah i mean um i i feel i did get the respect and the the kind of um respect that people seek uh, mm-hmm. within the community so where i was teaching i was well respected um so i guess what i was missing was that Uh, a sense of belonging and love mm-hmm. you know and i think that's that's that was it you know because i used to see you know it's like home i remember home alone and um kevin mccallister walking mm-hmm. and his family's in new york and he's watching all the houses through the window yeah. watching them you know cut the turkey or thanksgiving i don't know what it was i was like that person mm-hmm. where i felt everybody has that perfect family mm-hmm. you know obviously i truly appreciate it now after mm-hmm. but I think that that was it you know that feel that comfort something I was good at because internally at home 
um, you know, nowadays, you know, we very much encourage our children, celebrate their achievements, etc. Um, mm-hmm. However, I didn't truly feel that whatever I did kind of was acknowledged. Mm. Maybe it was acknowledged internally, most definitely it was. But externally, how did that manifest? You know, it, it did have a profound effect on mm-hmm. me. And maybe I tried to seek that through my gambling. But, mm. uh, but th- th- there isn't one answer why i kind yeah. of turned to gambling there were many things you know boredom factors. is a part yeah. of it as well you know yeah. definitely um i just you you mentioned like the um the feeling of belonging yeah. did you find a community or belongingness when you were gambling like is that a thing y- yeah well i i, I did find us for example i'm of when I do work, then I, I am quite passionate in that sense where I become, I go over and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I was going over and beyond in my gambling. So I had a sense of um, belonging there that I need to do th- something. And uh, and within the betting shops, I, I did feel a sense of belonging because people knew me there, mm. although it wasn't the best company. Mm. Uh, so I mean, I it guess more fulfilling than what you had. Before, more fulfilling than what I had. And um, because with my true friends, which I call my true friends, I, you know, their company was fantastic, but they didn't know that side to mm. me. And I, 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 I wanted them to know possibly because I own about my, there was, I have another family member who struggles from with addiction mm. as well, another addiction, which is which is quite serious and where do you offload these feelings mm-hmm. you know it, it's quite intense you know Absolutely. the emotions are, and I'm quite I'm somebody who uh, pen, there's a lot of pent up or there was a lot of pent up frustration anger towards that individual mm-hmm. and it, there was no healthy place to actually mm-hmm. let it out and gambling did certainly help mm-hmm. me in that way you know it kind of soothed. so it was, it was a coping mechanism yeah it was you. 100% yeah. 100% coping yeah. mechanism and you know um, that's what I teach as today as well that it is a coping mechanism when you do truly peel the layers within yourself mm. you will find that you're coping from something yeah you know absolutely so when i was doing a bit of research for this podcast i obviously yeah. came across all sorts of stuff yeah. online. don't yeah. trust everything that yeah. you see on google yeah, <laughs> um, yeah of course. but there was like this this question answer kind of thing yeah. and somebody sort of answered somebody probably similar in your um situation um saying oh i have this gambling addiction i don't know how to stop what would you advise mm. and like this whoever this person was straight up just said you shouldn't worry because the risk is from allah yeah how yeah. would you argue that hadith because obviously it's true we know this because from allah but as you said like the reason for your gambling wasn't purely for finances yeah yeah so i mean but if you were to tell yourself when you had originally got that that insurance thing yeah you know what if someone said that to you then how would you do you think anything would have gone differently what would you have said reflecting back now what would you think well reflecting back upon it i should have sought some help from family member or Mm. somebody you know to say i'm in this pickle please are you able to help me out because uh, 
I definitely be yeah most yeah hundred percent risk is from Allah and and I made a conscious decision to teach where I was teaching because of that I felt mm. what is important to me is lifelong learning Dean this um, kind of um, propagating practicing upon it myself I wasn't really interested in making money you know mm-hmm. or climbing up the career ladder however you know when a person is in financial distress and I mean that somebody is asking for money tomorrow or mm-hmm. yesterday then you uh, one has to be in a state of mind and where's that sabr where does it come from mm. you know uh, you're you're turning from one individual to another so uh, definitely but when you're in a crisis uh, i think y- you're thinking 100 miles per hour and the decisions are not rational you know uh, as with addiction that cognitive um, prefrontal um, part of your brain kind of shuts down you're in this flood of dopamine where you can't even think straight and all mm. you're thinking about is the now you know this mm. moment in time not the long-term consequence yeah. so in terms of the risk i was 100 percent. I, I was one of those individuals who who kind of prioritized um kind of uh, other things in, mm-hmm. in my passion for teaching more than what i accruing yeah. money or creating yeah. a kind of bulging bank balance mm. or something like that yeah. so it was not uh, I kind of continued to gamble as well. It was a hook to kind of recoup the losses, you mm-hmm. know, to to pay off my debts. Yeah. So that was a motivation to mm-hmm. keep going. You know, maybe you'll win. You know, I yeah. used to having those kind of dreams and um, uh, thoughts. That, okay, oh, that was a near miss. You know, I, oh, I yeah. nearly got it right. Yeah. You know, I did pick the right po- horse, time. but yeah. he 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 just got stuck in the race somewhere yeah. and didn't win. So. It's a, it's called a gambler's fallacy. Yeah. It's a fallacy, you know, and that kind of um, almost kept me, you mm-hmm. know, on a this conveyor belt, which I was unable to kind of jump off. Yeah, you know. it was, it's almost better than facing reality. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, definitely, because the reality is scary. It's mm. daunting. It's actually frightening to be honest one of the proprietors of the school which i was working in said this is disturbing that's the words he used mm. to to describe my behavior and what what was happening you know mm. it, it was disturbing and i just did not want to confront it i was a coward at that time and i think many individuals would feel like that they would mm. rather try and sort it out themselves Definitely. you know they would apply for loans etc or do something mm-hmm. which will prevent shame falling upon mm. themselves and the family as well mm. you know i mean <clears throat> obviously you know that gambling gambling addiction is predominantly male like yeah a, yeah you know um significant higher level yeah, of males yeah, is gambling yeah. but this whole idea of men not seeking help or yeah. seeking support yeah does that play like do you think that's true for you did that play an effect in yourself like was your gender yeah. a contributing factor towards you not seeking support or getting help um, it's a good question to be honest I, I think um, it wasn't more of a man men issue it was more of a cultural mm. um, there, there were some cultural bound uh, barriers there religious and cultural barriers mm-hmm. which prevented me not much of a kind of whether it's a man or a woman um, whether yes in certain respects yes as a, as a husband mm-hmm. as a husband I felt like the breadwinner yeah. and I shouldn't really be opening up about my flaws you Mm. know in in this respect and my ex-wife continuously for the latter part of my marriage kept on reminding me that she was bailing me out 
you know so that made me feel even more rubbish mm-hmm. to the fact that okay i can't really tell her the yeah. reality you know so yeah it did play a part that mm-hmm. you know though that hierarchy that we mm-hmm. we tend to uphold to you know did play a part somewhat mm-hmm. but truly it was cultural and religious boundaries mm-hmm. which prevented mm-hmm. myself from yeah. getting yeah so i'm really interested in hearing about you know how you mentioned that the teach the proprietor at your school yeah, so that you yeah. was disturbing. yeah yeah um it might be a little bit insensitive but i'm really interested to hear about how you were addicted to gambling and still teaching and running yeah. your life like what was it like yeah you know, is it like how it is in the movies where you were turning up late to your classes or you were gambling <laughs> on your phone in, inside yeah. the yeah, lessons yeah. like how, yeah, how yeah. did it how did yeah. it work <laughs> yeah good yeah, good <laughs> question yeah I, I i was really um i was a high functioning mm. um gam- person with a gambling addiction where i i wasn't turning up late to work or anything like that but i was towards the end in between my lessons i would be because i had some time where i was on my own and this is the biggest um, mistake etc mm-hmm. that you could one individual could to give time and isolation to a gambler is the worst thing that could happen to that individual so um i was gambling in between lessons on my phone mm-hmm. um However, when it wasn't an issue, it was always in the holidays. It was always on the weekend. Yeah. It was always in the evening. It was never. It it only when I became very desperate that I actually used to do it in the school time, mm-hmm. um, away from my classroom, and. I was very ashamed of it to be honest even if one person found out I truly felt horrible about it however I needed to go in I needed to teach mm-hmm. so towards the end I couldn't even walk in the assembly hall because everybody knew well not everybody mm-hmm. but quite a few older boys they knew and teachers knew and you know when people know and they look at you and you you know that they know but they don't say anything yeah. that was the kind of feeling there and it was horrible because I was in a position of authority mm-hmm. and i felt um i felt like a hypocrite as well mm-hmm. i did feel really bad i wasn't teaching any islamic subjects i was teaching english but the boys were very uh, they were quite judgmental in the sense that how could this individual be mm-hmm. in this kind of place when he's doing this yeah. kind of thing so so and and the actual management did try and speak to me but it was almost like um they were looking at the behavior as opposed to something deeper that help should be sought yeah. through so they were really offering solutions yeah the solutions were maybe there's this support group out there oh, you I know see. um Take yeah. some time off. Uh, no, no. T- <laughs> time off was never no, <laughs> yeah. because we were kind of short-staffed anyway. <laughs> so time, that was yeah. never offered. But it it was very difficult to keep working in that sort of environment mm-hmm. where you, you know that sort of environment is actually what is wrong with society today in terms of our community mm-hmm. where no subject should be out of bounds Absolutely. you know in terms of discussion i'm not criticizing the school here it's just as a community Absolutely. and pastoral uh, pastorally you know we need to be much more effective mm-hmm. you know young people today are dealing with a plethora of emotions mm-hmm. and issues and many individuals young children which i know have actually 
you know, gone through t- really troubling times. And due to my experience, I was able to speak to them, you know, mm. in that compassionate, mm. non-judgmental way, the way I'd like to be spoken. Yeah. I kind of spoke to them in that way. So that kind of heightened my anxiety uh, being there. Mm-hmm. In that respect, and I, in a very heated conversation mm-hmm. with another staff member, I was told to sort myself out. You know, and I felt, I felt really. Um, what yeah, benefit did that do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it didn't really yeah. because if I could sort myself out, I would, I would have, yeah. I would have done it. You know, but I didn't, I didn't even recognize what's an addiction. That's mm. the the frightening thing of it. That even despite the risks which I was taking, and I was taking, uh, when I, I wrote an article for the Asian Image, and the first thing the editor asked me was, "How much did you lose?" And I said, "I, I lost more than money. You know, I lost mm-hmm. relationships. I lost that reputation. You know, I was a person who'd like to be." keep low-key kind of person now i wasn't low-key everybody knew in the community Mm -hmm. that such and such a person you know he's doing this or he's engaged in this and i led prayers taraweeh in my local masjid Mm. so there there was a lot to lose more than money you know so so uh, there is this sense of um almost like uh, delusional thinking within the community mm-hmm. that it, it's a it's almost a choice okay once upon a time it was a choice when i first opened that mm-hmm. account i believe i made a conscious choice to open that account obviously there were factors and like i said it doesn't operate in a vacuum but then it didn't it wasn't a choice it's something that kept me going you know i had mm-hmm. to it was a coping mechanism it was a it was self-medicating so um i think not many people a compulsion are, yeah exactly it, yeah, yeah 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 and like being a teacher is really difficult like i have a couple of friends who are yeah, who yeah, are teachers yeah <laughs> yeah it's like 24 7 yeah 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 um I think I was listening on the radio, it was a couple of months ago, that I think teachers have the highest rates of alcoholism. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, having a, <laughs> having a gambling yeah. addiction yeah. for a teacher actually isn't that yeah. completely out of, out of order. And I think the experience that you had with your colleagues and, mm. and the, the management at your school mm. goes to show that actually what support is there for people in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. the management were very <laughs> compassionate in the mm-hmm. sense that they, they put up with me, you know, and I'm grateful for that. They, they uh, I was a nightmare in terms of trying to manage, um, mm-hmm. not because uh, I was difficult uh, in my behavior, but because of my gambling, that was mm-hmm. affecting the school's reputation. Okay. It, it could, among students, amongst students then talk to parents mm-hmm. you know so these things kind of escalate very quickly mm-hmm. so in that respect however individual conversations could have been better mm-hmm. definitely 100 mm-hmm. percent. you know if i try and put myself in the uh, you know their shoes then i would definitely yes yeah. think about different thing about things differently mm-hmm. it was only after you know um an appa so a female um teacher that worked in the same um, establishment but on the female section of the school she found out and she knew what I was doing mm-hmm. etc and abruptly one day called me and said you need help that's all she said you need help and and that was a wake-up call that was the seed that mm-hmm. was planted that actually yeah there is mm-hmm. such a thing as help mm-hmm. out there you know yeah. so I'm glad you glad you brought that up because I was just gonna ask you like when apart from like when did you finally realize mm. like okay something's not right like yeah. something needs to happen like 
Well, did you lose a big amount? Was yeah. it the phone call? Like, yeah. where did it all turn around for you? Yeah, it, it was a couple of things. So, you know, they say that a person with a gambling addiction or probably any addiction will go to three places. One is um, prison. The other is he'll become homeless. And the other is he'll have an early death, you know. And wow. I, I would have been in one of those places, I feel, because my thought pattern changed where i was thinking um okay i need access to money what do i do now because mm. I, I just couldn't i guess i couldn't stop or um, i needed to pay off debt mm -hmm. etc so bef so it was during that period where i kind of felt rock bottom and people within the community one or two individuals came to see me and said and i kind of admitted openly at that mm -hmm. time and and that phone call kind of helped as well because that was the pressure which I needed because I was getting some sort of regular um, pressure from mm -hmm. there to say, okay, you, you do need help, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I kind of went to went for counselling and went to the GA kind of Gamblers mm -hmm. Anonymous program. And the first time I spoke there, I kind of, it was a, it was almost like a bird leaving a cage, you know, mm -hmm. the, all that frustration, all that pain, emotion, which was pent up within me kind of, and I could be open in a room with people who have been there mm -hmm. and with the counsellor, the first interaction on the phone was very positive and it was all it, to the extent like, it, that must have been hard, you know, etc., mm. etc. Et so validating my feelings, okay, you know, yeah. not telling me stop feeling sorry for yourself, mm. get up and you know get a job or etc. or sort yourself out or that kind of comments. But yeah, it, it changed my life that mm -hmm. that counselling session, my first GA meeting, and I threw myself into it. I, I literally, right. literally started to explore everything about addiction, which mm -hmm. I wanted to know Islamic perspective of addiction um, started to speak to people about it and I was still very ashamed you know there's something called healthy shame where it gives you those boundaries however another shame is where it stops you from leaving your house mm -hmm. you know getting out of bed mm -hmm. and that's the shame which I was experiencing mm -hmm. and it took it take, took me a very very long time to kind of um, uh, kind of forgive myself mm -hmm. I, I couldn't forgive myself I found it very difficult to actually even go to the local masjid mm -hmm. you know because seeing those faces and um, yeah it, it, it was very difficult you know especially the shame aspect mm -hmm. of it but now I've kind of done a couple of talks in masjids about mm. gaming and gambling addiction. And I think it's inspired people because they wouldn't have expected me to be in that situation. Absolutely, but yeah. I think there are so many people in that situation. It's just that some maybe recover and move on. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm worried about those people because have they made that truly deep? Have they kind mm. of done that soul searching, which I think mm. is required, uh, you know, mm. um, to find out why it happened in the yeah. first place or maybe to make positive changes in their life mm. so that they don't need that escapism or self-medication. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm feeling really moved by your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, so out of curiosity and maybe for some of our listeners, I know obviously recovery is like yeah. lifelong and yeah. it's never really like, okay, yeah. I'm recovering now. I'm never yeah. going to yeah. whatever. Yeah. But how like how long has it taken from you from that very first step that you said that, okay, I'm going to get help to where you are now? Um, it's only not, it's approximately, I would say about, 
12 to 18 18 months i would say really yeah, oh mashallah yeah, I, yeah. I was expecting to say like six seven years yeah no wow, no mashallah. no and 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 that's why i have slight um trouble uh, with the idea of that it's 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 within you for a lifetime only because only because um i I kind of feel healing is possible. Mm. Uh, that's something which I'm learning or mm-hmm. which I want to know more about that uh, in terms of our deen, in terms of our faith, you know, where, th- there is a cure for everything. Mm-hmm. So in this respect, you know, um, how d- how does it kind of, kind of uh, with addiction and, and to understand how addiction is gripping as well is that, the alcohol was banned over many periods of, yeah. of years in Islam, and is wasn't that a kind of a recognition of yeah. the, the addiction itself how it and how it works? And the fact that you can be a good Muslim at the same time struggle with an yeah. addiction—that's something which I feel um, prevents people from. Uh, and what we do is we kind of push people on the cusp of society, yeah. and they stay on the fringes of society because. Um, they feel that we will never belong and yeah. individuals who are in the masjids mm-hmm. um, maybe um, are they able to kind of forgive and mm-hmm. are they able to kind of accommodate individuals who yeah. are struggling now with addiction itself and being a disease you know uh, initially when I went to Gamblers Anonymous they were calling it a disease I was like disease what do you mean disease you know uh, yeah I, I wasn't really I didn't kind of find myself um, in harmony with that term mm. so I said illness I, I like illness maybe yeah, it is, is an illness yeah. it is an illness and if you treat it like an illness maybe you'll take it seriously oh, you know it, yeah. definitely but then since I stopped gambling I've never look back never mm. look back and I feel there were other things in my life that I need to change mm-hmm. you know communication being open being um, self-esteem is mm-hmm. one forgiving myself recognizing what's good within us mm-hmm. you know uh, there are many things that potentially that um, I needed to change in order f- to prevent a relapse mm-hmm. so that you know an emotional relapse a physical whatever kind of relapse there is you know overworking is one to which I'm currently working on you yeah. know so so the idea that it lives on because it there in there is that stigma with it as well it can be you know imagine telling somebody that you've had an addiction and them thinking oh gosh i'm not living with him you know what if it yeah, have, yeah th- there are so many kind of um binding um issues there and stigma that it, uh, i kind of don't like to call myself an addict mm. because i see it as a very negative uh, negative connotations around mm. it because yeah. because of what future implications Implications it could have yeah. for an individual, even though they may have. I have met individuals who have gone off heroin, mm-hmm. you know, and when you see them, you will never know you that they were, tell, and they've yeah. made a complete, and maybe they've made those positive changes. So I think a lot of research needs to be done Absolutely. in this, yeah. especially from an Islamic perspective, mm. because I feel, you know. The deen which I learned in madrasa and which I learned in my missionary work is completely different to the deen which I learned when I yeah. lost that when I kind of gave up gambling. Yeah. I found a more loving 
a deen you know and do you feel like uh, it replaced that what gambling fulfilled oh yeah totally yeah. totally i i saw ayats of quran the hadith, hadith and things which are it's again which i mentioned to you previously that inspirited minds kind of talks to the muslim youth or community today in a language which they can understand mm. you know uh, our the quran is a, a it's a book for every era yeah you know so we need to speak the language yeah. of that era and i, I think that's quite important <clears throat> yeah. you know it's yeah. really really inspiring actually and i really like how you um <clears throat> brought in the fact that alcohol was uh yeah. made forbidden over a period of time yeah. and i think what's like everyone always says that you know the reason that it was um sort of forbidden is because yeah. when the, the sahaba came to do yeah. this Allah, they said something yeah. wrong right yeah, yeah and everyone kind of ignores the fact that yeah. they still came to Salah even though they were drunk. Yeah, <laughs> do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah. almost a bit like, so yeah. why wouldn't a gambler or somebody yeah. who has a gambling addiction yeah. still turn to yeah. Allah, still yeah. turn to Salah? And I think that yeah. completely defe- defeats the yeah. stereotype where like, yeah. or if you have an addiction or you have mental illnesses yeah. because you don't have yeah. Iman, whereas yeah. we know these sah- like these yeah. Sahaba who were drunk and yeah. still yeah. knew their yeah. obligatory prayers and yeah. they still tried to do it definitely. on time. So definitely. I think that definitely reflects like the character that you yeah. had and how many yeah. other people who have or yeah. have had addictions and yeah. how that yeah. like actually remembering Allah even in those times where you might be doing something haram can actually yeah. be very gripping and can yeah. actually keep you somewhat grounded yeah um I'm really interested to know because I mean my fault but I haven't really sort of researched how GA works or like yeah, what the, yeah, I mean is yeah. it similar to AA like yeah yeah very how, similar how does it the, work the, and did like did they accommodate Islam or was it you know yeah. did you have to do that yourself yeah well the thing with GA it operates very similar to the 12-step program in Alcoholics Anonymous mm-hmm. very similar uh, people sit around in a circle and introduce themselves as a compulsive gambler which I kind of found it difficult to do um, if and we read from a book and every every friday we would kind of read mm-hmm. and a paragraph for each and it's all kind of positive messages and almost um accepting that it has got us beat you know mm-hmm. the addiction has uh, the gambling addiction has beat the individual and then kind of professes the program professes to develop a change within the individual through forgiveness through making up with individuals that they have wronged um, so it's an opportunity offload you know mm-hmm. whatever that person has happened to him during the week mm-hmm. and then it's an opportunity for fellow individuals to respond to that person mm-hmm. so many times they'll praise them for the positive steps that they've taken um, some individuals will have a sponsor who they can ring at any time mm-hmm. and I think that's quite important you know when you're in those moments where you really need to speak because mm-hmm. When I gave up, there was one month, uh, the first three months were found very difficult, actually felt suicidal in those moments, the first three months, and I rang somebody, and it, it helped me, you know, by the end of that call, I felt better, I felt, and this one kind of line, I always remember that this time shall pass, you know, if if it wasn't for that, you know, I don't know what would have happened, but 
GA was very strong in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very loving. You know, people really truly respect each other on a human level. Mm-hmm. And something which I've not found in my community, I found mm-hmm. it really sad. It's really saddening to be honest that hu- that humanity does not exist. It may yeah. exist, and there are really beautiful individuals in the community, but they they're just buried away. Yeah. You know, buried away. And and recently, because they don't an, keep up with the yeah yeah exactly. And would, do they want to associate themselves with mm-hmm. a gambler or with a alcoholic? or whoever mm. you know and one individual which I met recently who was struggling with a alcohol addiction mm. similar you know very religious religious praises Salah as well he mentioned to me that whilst drinking you know bottle to his mouth he would praise praise Allah and he would say oh Allah please stop this you know mm. I, I want to stop so I could feel the pain mm. you know and do, do, do I, I think it, the difference is that people in GA kind of see that child in that soul suffering you mm. know and that's what i kind of um experience i think i think that was a f- for people it's changed their lives mm. you know i don't go anymore i infrequently go um however there was a muslim brother that came there as well the first time i went there i was terrified you know i was i went dressed like this mm-hmm. you know and people were just like what is this guy doing yeah what is it? <laughs> are you here to ask for direction somewhere you yeah. know and uh, it, it was really difficult and i mm. put myself out there and even to this day i talk in I did a talk recently in Manchester to public health mm. professionals about gambling and I was the only Muslim there only mm. Muslim there and I stood up and told my story uh, I think you know it's it's difficult but I think it's quite important yeah, to say that it definitely. does affect our community yeah. our individuals so and also I think it's really important because um, it's really important because especially for people who aren't Muslims and they see us as Muslims, yeah. they kind of think that the only issues that we have is extremism yeah, and oppression. Yeah, it's like actually yeah. we have exactly the same problems yeah, as you. And if yeah. not, it's even worse for us yeah. because we don't have the support services exactly. that are open and yeah. accommodating for you guys. Yeah. As, you know, yeah. so definitely. And and the only thing which was lacking for me, I felt, was a safe space. That's the mm. GA is a safe space. Counseling is a safe space. And because they see you as a human being who's suffering, mm. they, and they regularly used to tell me that we don't care where you come from, yeah. but this addiction could affect anybody. Absolutely. And there was one Muslim brother that used to come, and I had one conversation with him, and then I invited his um, wife to also come to that conversation, and that was the first. They both broke down in that, in, and and that proved that communication, that safe space where you can talk about mm-hmm. everything, you know. And now to this day, he's gambling free, and a ring him maybe sure, twice. Yeah. A week or once a week Inshallah. you know just to have a normal conversation and that's all you need mm. at times you mm. know how to kind of you know cope with life yeah. at that time you know um, yeah. so I, I feel the 12-step program when I first saw it I literally had tears in my eyes because that's my dean mm-hmm. you know I, <laughs> I couldn't really find it elsewhere but here it is you know just for today you know uh, I will do something good if somebody sees me I will do it again and mm. you know things like that just for today I will be happy just for today I will act courteously mm. you know I will dress smartly things like that you know so which well, which are beautiful and in that sense it's great that you found it but also there's a part of me that's like why don't we have that in yeah, our own spaces yeah, in our yeah. own communities why isn't that readily available yeah, for people truly. as and when because all these gems that are so easy and you know i was speaking with a friend not so long ago that allah mm. has made it so easy for us to worship him yeah and to be in you know to have our good deeds recorded yeah, and to be yeah. in his good books 
but they're so buried under yeah. jargon and yeah, yeah, yeah. this creed yeah. and that creed and although that's important yeah, i'm not yeah, you know yeah. watering down that but also it's it's quite difficult for normal muslims like you and i to find out how to just be good muslims and yeah, live our lives yeah yeah exactly and and it, it's just about again just to reiterate it's about speaking the language mm. it's about just making it accessible you know some things which aren't accessible and you actually are prevented to seek them yeah. because you're not qualified or maybe you need to be in the company of a scholar to do such yeah. things but it's having those open spaces and opportunities yeah. you know to to explore your faith explore your deen and not be kind of criticized for it you mm. know and uh, I, I feel there is a lot of work required especially in the addiction because families do suffer and i've not talked mm. about families you know where living with an addict a person with an addiction is tumultuous to say the least you mm. know the emotions in fact the family members then tend to absorb a lot of the addictive behavior of the individual and that's that's quite distressing mm. and i think these family members need to be liberated from that mm. as well that pain etc so that support is definitely not mm. there and i'm trying what i'm trying to do is kind of bridge individuals and families to mainstream services mm -hmm. because it's something you can get the best of both worlds in that respect you know having a faith-based kind of um support service is kind of essential yeah. because many individuals want to reconcile want their dean that mm. they, they feel very passionately and strongly mm. about it however just going to a GA program may see seeing what generally white faces yeah. there, they feel almost um, re reticent mm -hmm. to kind of engage in that because there's a sense of disbelief and uh, okay you know how's this relevant to me I'm a Muslim etc mm. so I, I think it's something which is highly um, yeah. needed in that so one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you which we've already like almost answered was yeah. what is missing from these Muslim circles and these Muslim institutes yeah, so we yeah. mentioned safe space we've mentioned yeah, yeah. like resources and easily accessible things yeah, yeah. what else do you feel like we could have or what else do you feel like we need or how do we engage with people like yourself or what do we need to provide a yeah. space for people like yourself yeah, who yeah. are practicing and yeah, you know yeah. whatever what have you and also have these because i think one of the things i was thinking before that i forgot to mention was mm. when you said that a lot of people were judgmental towards you i think a lot of people think a lot of people forget that we all have our skeletons in the yeah, closet so for you yeah, it might be yeah, gambling addiction yeah. for someone else's pornography for somebody yeah. else it might be social media yeah, for yeah. another person it could be that they excessively overeat or they gossip yeah, or they backbite yeah, and yeah. i think one of like one of the most amazing things i take from our dean is that the prophet ﷺ, he treated everybody the same like even his enemies you know he was compassionate towards yeah, them and he yeah, and yeah. there's always and he always he was really optimistic you yeah. know like what happened in ta'if right allah gave him the opportunity mm. to ruin these people and he yeah. said no because there's a chance that the people of this land can go on to become believers and worship you yeah and that's something that always sticks with me because i i always think like this person could actually be better than me or yeah. they could turn out to be a lot better than me in yeah. in the future so yeah, yeah. i mean i definitely feel like there needs to be a space for like completely non-judgmental yeah. yeah, circles yeah, or definitely definitely because i i think w what i saw was that a lack of compassion a lack mm. of compassion it, it was it's a really suffocating space to be in really suffocating mm. where there's no margin for error there's no Very especially from yeah especially within those circles where i kind of came from and the idea 
the the idea that it's almost like people are almost compelled to to almost continue this Jekyll and Hyde kind of personality, mm-hmm. you know, repressing that true self and seeking that right mm-hmm. support. So what I kind of advocate for is individuals who are they t- tend to call them experts by experience. Nothing, mm. Not that I'm proud of it, but because we have lived through that pain and giving them that opportunity, a platform to actually speak and mm-hmm. inspire individuals or I think nowadays what's happening especially in the gambling uh, kind of treatment um, network is that they're using people with lived experience to actually facilitate treatment or not facilitate treatment but better treatment mm-hmm. improved so they're, they're actually being informed by people who have gone through the system or been through the trauma of kind of addiction within our community people do they get an opportunity how many mm. people do i remember who have kind of left drugs and alcohol ever speak you know yeah. it's very rare Definitely. it's always the alim that speaks isn't it yeah. and they don't tend to understand true reality yeah. quran and hadith totally however i feel i want to listen to somebody who's been there yeah. then i want to feel their pain you yeah. know and you know why did i not turn to drugs and alcohol because i actually saw that the mm. pain so uh, i think that's what's needed mm. you know we have to celebrate people who have been through you know that journey and come out of it you know as well so that's something which i think needs to be done and i think as you were saying like it's always an alim or the imam speaking which is great they're well learned they're well versed but however they also have to acknowledge that actually they're not well learned and well versed and and things like this and you know even when i'm at my local mosque and i listen to the khutbas and they say like the dangers of this is this and this and the punishment of this is xyz and it's a bit like yeah. Okay, this is just going in through one yeah. ear and out the other yeah. ear. Yeah. Especially yeah. when I look around all the other young people at the gym, and I'm just like, they're not yeah. taking any of this in. Yeah. It's, it isn't yeah. relatable at yeah. all to yeah. them. Yeah. And like you said, it's not in a way that um, it's not expressed in a way that that they understand. In nowadays, yeah. it's not related to anything that yeah. that, yeah. They, that yeah. they have. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I'm really interested in your how culture affected all of this because you know really brave mashallah mm. because i imagine where you live is quite yeah. a tight-knit small yeah. community yeah. yeah um and obviously asian communities everyone's in each other's pockets unfortunately yeah. yeah but how was it for you and like how was it for you when people started finding out about your gambling addiction like in terms of the culture and what is it like now are you still known as to hail the gambler yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That sounds like a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was t- indeed one of the biggest challenges of it, to be honest. And um, cultural harm is quite significant. And it was very significant for me because it actually prevented me from being who I was. So mm-hmm. I hid myself in isolation. I didn't really mm-hmm. converse. I cut off my friends because I was so ashamed of what I did. And. In terms of a community, what would happen? What happened was that certain individuals would see me going to a betting shop, maybe even though I, I thought I tried hard not to be spotted, but instead of talking to me, they would go to my family members mm-hmm. and maybe talk to my dad. And my dad, being my dad, you know, it comes out all wrong at times, yeah. and then that creates a relationship breakdown, yeah. you know. And a friend did find out, and a friend 
an imam found out and the imam told another person who then told another person to speak mm-hmm. to me and he came to my house and said okay you're right he just turned up and i said yeah let's do you want to see in the car okay let's see in the car so then small talk you know i was like okay come out with it i know something is gonna come so he came out with it and i denied it because the whole the, there was a performance there which mm. wasn't really neat it wasn't gender it wasn't genuine the whole and that's culture for you where you're you're hearing it from the community yeah. and it's making you feel even worse yeah. than you already feel yeah. i know i had the biggest problem in the sense that i know i was doing wrong i used to avoid listening to lectures about mm-hmm. gambling in the newspaper if it was there in the asian image i was to shut it away i was so ashamed that i didn't want to read about it because i knew it was wrong uh, you know and that's that that was suffocating that was difficult for me to kind of um, uh, consume and in the school itself the culture it was more than culture where people didn't really want to associate with me so students who were very fond of me were now not very fond is you this know. like a general like secular school or is this an islamic school it's the islamic school oh, so very orthodox oh, yeah, yeah very orthodox and it, it's just about people in culture as we know we brush things under the carpet mm. the elephant in the room stayed in the room you know yeah. we never spoke about it and that's culture and that's i i, so I wish yeah i wish somebody would have talked about it in that yeah. Now my friend Ibrahim is here today, and he was one of the first individuals that I spoke to mm-hmm. about it. And he didn't bat an eyelid, you know. And maybe because of his upbringing was very different mm-hmm. to how he is, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 that then first time I spoke to him, I spoke to him again about it, and he saw my journey, you know, mm-hmm. through it. And he that was a safe space for me. Yeah. So. Within the family, my family wouldn't talk about it to me. You know, they they wouldn't openly. I think they never actually advocated for for me to go into any kind of support and anything like that. Mm. So there there was a there was a barrier there, you know, which prevented me from kind of opening up, mm. you know, truly to kind of say, okay, um, I've kind of messed up yeah. here, you know. So uh, the the these are the barriers really and it became very difficult to be honest and open mm-hmm. about it you know as and what is it like now because i assume you're still living in the same place yeah i'm still were, living in the same community what um, is it like? uh, are you yeah. able to get yeah. to the masjid okay and um i tend to go to a different masjid okay. just purely because um I, I feel, yeah i i just feel that it's best if i just go elsewhere however I am fine now, you know, I've, yeah. I've slowly managed to reconnect and speak in the masjid. So recently I did a talk in a local community masjid where 120 people came Mashallah. and some knew me from a young age. Yeah. So that, that I guess that was a um, step that in the right direction. Mm-hmm. In the, and, and, and people, what I've noticed is they have more respect for you after that. You know, they do truly do. It's just a matter of, you know, um, just being honest and open about it you know from my perspective you know um yeah Mm. definitely so so it it has become easier definitely become easier and i feel away from where i was that environment Mm. has been much better so i work in a completely different uh, um environment i work out of town which is better for me so i've made some decision which i feel 
um, or helping in my recovery, mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. say, you know. And I've met individuals who I th- who are who are Muslims, and they're truly very compassionate mm. and didn't really judge me yeah. at all. And I feel, you know, we need more of those Absolutely. individuals, you know. Yeah. Um, I just have a quick question. Yeah. I know earlier you said you don't like to refer to yourself as an ex-addict. Yeah. So w- yeah. what? Like, do we need to refer to you as anything, or do you say I had gambling yeah, addiction? Uh, uh, yeah, um, it's a difficult. I don't have the right answer, and mm. I th- I guess I will learn, you know. Mm. Um, and I, I feel recovery. I do work. believe recovery is not a linear process. Yeah. You know, it's up and down. Mm. I, I acknowledge that, and I know there will be t- occasion. There will be triggers, etc. And it's how you manage those triggers. Mm. So I refer to myself as somebody who who had a gambling addiction. Mm. So that's what I do. And I think that sits with me okay mm. now. And in GA, if I do go to GA, then obviously I just go with the flow. Yeah. But deep down, um, I feel in my recovery, I'm, I'm somewhere else in mm-hmm. the sense. So I, I would say, yeah, I may be in recovery yeah. because there are certain things which I would like to do in terms of um, I've not truly, um, as if I go to my local mm-hmm. masjid, that's when I say, okay, it doesn't affect you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, what people say about you doesn't really affect mm-hmm. you because it would affect me mm-hmm. even now. If, if I heard somebody talking negatively, then initially it would affect me. Uh, mm. However, then having thought about it, you know, that's yeah. what they think, you know, Alhamdulillah, you have made this progress. Mm. So I just have a couple more questions, yeah. inshallah. Um, I think it would be really great if we knew what was the most profound thing that you have discovered, whether that's about Islam, about yeah. you, about gambling yeah. in your recovery. Yeah. Because I know well, you've done a lot of soul searching and you've yeah. said some really incredible things. So. Yeah. Yeah, what would you say has been the most significant or the most profound? The most profound um, thing which I take from my recovery is that not to judge, you Mm. know, so to have compassion for the person with the addiction. Because once upon a time I didn't, a person with a gambling addiction or, you know, I have managed to, I, I can identify with them and I know there's, a soul in there which is suffering mm-hmm. you know deep down they need help they are crying for help mm-hmm. and that's some and i would work with anybody i mm-hmm. would work with anybody now mm-hmm. and i would ne- if even if they said they robbed a bank i would not of bat course. an eyelid you yeah. know because i can't and i'm in that position i feel where i'm really grateful for that um what allah has blessed me with that mm-hmm. kind of thought or that compassion it's liberating to, to, yeah it's yeah. liberating and the the other thing would be that he has shown me dimensions of our deen which i did thought didn't exist you know sure. and w- some of those are to do with the soul to do mm-hmm. how 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 kind of delicate and fragile yeah. it is you know and how, and how important far it can be stretched yeah as well exactly and exactly and and another thing that's how suffering can be something positive mm, where if you didn't sure. suffer then a lot of wisdom wouldn't be kind of um, attributed to mm-hmm. Allah doesn't wouldn't bless you with that wisdom unless unless something profound has and yeah. I feel when I talk sometimes some people, you know, are kind of affected by it yeah. because it's something which I truly kind of lived, yeah. you know, and 
yeah there's a couple of things which i have taken mm. from my kind of uh, my experience Mashallah. you know in that sense what advice would you give to somebody who might be in a less severe or more severe position than where you once were or anybody who is suffering from yeah. a gambling addiction what what would you say yeah uh, the first thing which i would say is that you know stopping is just a half of it you mm-hmm. know and if somebody's at the very early stages where the neural pathways haven't kind of completely mm-hmm. um set in that sense then i i, I would say that, that some addiction is early addiction is something which will manifest in 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 ways which will be disturbing mm-hmm. and they will take over your life and before you know it you know it won't leave you until it's taken every single mm-hmm. thing from you you know somebody told me a, a very short incident where um, a person in recovery um, the partner of that person said well you've got me now so you don't need to go to your groups and then she mentioned that well i didn't even spare my children for yeah. my alcohol who who do you, what makes yeah. you think i'll stop it for you <laughs> yeah. so that that's my kind of um, advice to individuals that it will consume mm-hmm. your whole life and you will lose every single thing even if you feel that um it's dear to you you know and the other thing is to kind of um to to kind of open yourself up to treatment you mm. know and not think that allah allah alone is the healer allah is the healer mm-hmm. allah gives healing however we live in terms of our sustenance you know we're very happy to go out and work you know 9 mm-hmm. to 5 yeah. but for our treatment we're not willing to go to sure. a cbt or to counseling you know counseling has got so much taboo around yeah. it but i feel most people need counseling mm-hmm. because we struggle with daily life or it, it would help us in leaps and bounds you know mm. it's not a negative at all it's something that just allows us to process our thoughts yeah. and to to develop positive thinking mm-hmm. patterns so to open yourself to treatment because mm-hmm. that's what i did you know i was ready to do anything i was mm-hmm. i was ready to go ga and however many i i used to go ga and it was really cold that night and i used to get home at 11 o'clock at night having walked half an hour to go to ga and go home because i was committed i was yeah. committed that I, i really needed to do this and uh, so so that's what i would say that don't worry about you know your dress or how you mm. look etc these treatments are are quite effective mm. you know and and they will actually um save you from a lot of heartache yeah. in the long term you know great definitely because i kind of went round in the spirituality circles mm-hmm. so i went from dhikr to tablighi jamaat to this to that to, i was searching for mm. that you know I mean, some people might find it but generally speaking you know marry that with traditional um, western therapy you know or it's very holistic, a, holistic yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be um, they call it um, psycho social spiritual yeah. you know model yeah um, yeah yeah fantastic okay just to finish off with what is like the most like what keeps you strong what's the most significant reminder that you tell yourself that keeps you going mm. the greatest kind of motivation is that i can't let this experience kind of define me mm-hmm. so uh, i truly want to be successful in dunya and akhirah mm-hmm. and i feel allah is 
Allah is merciful. Mm-hmm. So so Allah is merciful and he he has apportioned mercy for me and I feel he must have put me through this for a reason and inshallah I trust his plan like mm-hmm. Rumi said that what does the ant know about the pattern upon which it walks upon mm-hmm. so it's a beautiful pattern mm-hmm. it might be a Turkish rug or something for me this is Allah's got a plan mm-hmm. you know I trust his plan and I, I want to be successful so uh, I guess that's my motivation and that's my mm-hmm. inspiration uh, you know and uh, not every day will be positive you know some days i may wake up feeling really mm. um, you know thinking about it but but that's my, definitely as long as it changes and the other motivation is that i really want to help people individuals yeah. before they lose everything cuz the more it's in isolation the more destructive it mm. is you know in the asian community the social capital so the amount of money spent on gambling it's massive it's huge really? there are individuals who have spent 75000 pounds in one hour mm-hmm. and that that can only be because they just feel they can't go anywhere mm-hmm. and they need to do something etc so uh, that's my motivation yeah. as well that the suffering is really um, mm. immense i think a lot of families are really really good at hiding it and and uh, and it kind of develops other physiological issues as well as depression mm-hmm. etc which could mask the true mm-hmm. issue that individuals yeah. so so it's a social blight yeah. to be honest and, and that's my motivation that even i don't want to be doing this work for my as a day job yeah. etc but however if it helps individuals you know yeah. definitely it, it, it's and i maybe it's allah's plan that there will be individuals like this out there you know who who might even if it's one person listening to this podcast mm. who who kind of is affected by inshallah. it and seeks some support inshallah I'm sure there is. Yeah. yeah do you feel like there's anything that we've missed out or anything you'd like to mention anything you want to talk about um I think we've covered quite. We have. Uh, Mashallah, my brain is like spilling over right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mashallah, it's yeah. been. Jazakallah uh, khaira for the opportunity, yeah. and you know, I, I hope the kind of listeners do benefit Inshallah. from it as well. And there's always hope. Like I mentioned, this time Absolutely. shall pass. So whoever's suffering, you know, that suffering is only temporary. Mm-hmm. You know, and definitely. Um, yeah. Alhamdulillah for the opportunity. Yeah, where can our listeners find you, or if they yeah. have any questions, where? Yeah, because there might be some people that want to ask something yeah. specifically to you. Are, are you yeah. are you okay with them? Yeah, you, uh, yes, of course. Um, uh, I do work kind of on a freelance for Beacon Counselling Trust. Beacon Counseling, uh, yeah, yeah, in Liverpool. So they might want to get yeah. in touch with me through there, or contact maybe inspirited minds yeah. to you know inshallah. To, to we'll have some. everything written on, on yeah. our webpage inshallah. inshallah inshallah okay um well may allah preserve you and keep Ameen. you steadfast <laughs> yeah. honestly Ameen. it's i mean i don't even have an addiction and i and i feel like i'm not gonna have an addiction ever <laughs> <laughs> no, you can really tell um like the pain and the anguish yeah that your afflictions have um that you've experienced um mm. Because honestly, like the wisdom, mashallah, and the gems that you've you've shared, and I think the way that you've described it has been really, mm-hmm. really moving, mashallah. So jazakumullah yeah. khairan for being here. Like honestly, from the bottom of and on yeah. behalf of Inspiration Minds as well, um, yeah. really appreciate you coming all this way and being mm-hmm. here. And I'm sure our listeners are just as just as grateful. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khairan. So that was the end of the podcast. It was 
so amazing my brain is still spinning over at the amount of stuff that we spoke about and I hope that you guys found it just as beneficial it was such a pleasure to host Suhail and big big thanks to him and his friend Ibrahim for coming down um, and also it was a pleasure to host you guys we really really want to know how we did and what you guys thought of it please please leave us a review please subscribe on all we're on all major platforms um and please leave us a good review inshallah just for listening until next time salamu alaikum